Molly Knox Ostertag is a cartoonist and comic book creator, best known for her work on shows like The Owl House and comics like The Witch Boy Trilogy and Strong Female Protagonist. Mainly writing young adult graphic novels, Ostertag has a strong focus on writing about women and queer people, often incorporating fantastical elements into her storytelling. Today, and over the next two months, we'll be attempting to cover the entirety of Ostertag's body of work and find out what makes her work stand out in a crowded field of YA graphic novels and webcomics. Welcome to Extra Issues. Welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club podcast where we choose a theme and read through a selection of comics that explore that theme. Our current theme is the entire works of Molly Knox Ostertag, and this month we are discussing Strong Female Protagonists as well as her other webcomics. I'm your Strong Female Podcaster, Charlotte, and today I'm joined <laughs> by a very special co-host. His wife has been hunting him ever since he transformed into his persona. It's Zach Dean, how's it going? <laughs> My wife has been what me? Has been hunting you ever since you hunting. transformed into your persona. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's uh, it's not that hard for her. My persona is a turtle. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> I do just walk on all fours uh, with a large, um, like one of those, you see those turtle sandboxes with the big plastic shell yep. on my back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the arrows do deflect off of me, but uh, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't make much headway uh, where I'm going. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. I, uh, we're, we're talking basically like everything that she's done online that was not like formally published some of these did end up being formally published like strong female protagonist got a uh, paperback release um they did a kickstarter and then i think top shelf comics put it out for them but like this is stuff that originated at least online and it's web comic form so we're going to do strong female protagonist we're going to cover darkest night which is her current substack comic um if you go to read this on substack each individual page is locked behind uh, a paywall, but then when she finishes each chapter, they go up for free. So I, I kind of had that problem initially, um, thinking that they were locked behind a paywall, although I would have just paid for it. I probably will subscribe to her. Um, How the Best Hunter in the Village Met Her Death, which is uh, on Gumroad, which I think costs like five bucks. And then her Lord of the Rings fan comics and her hourly comics are, I think, what we're going to talk about. We might have a few other things. Those all you can, you can find all this on her website. Her website links to all this. Um, but yeah, she's she's a really interesting. Um, she she's kind of what's the word? Uh, she's kind of indicative of a style of comic book that is like pretty popular now. Like if you see her style of comic, like the the actual aesthetic style of her drawing. Um, I, I, I kind of struggled with whether I even wanted to say it, but, like, it is derisively called, like, the CalArts style sometimes. Like, people make yeah. fun of this um, for, like, boy, uh, what what other things are in this example? Well, her spouse, uh, Nate Stevenson, like, Nimona, the new She-Ra, Steven Universe, um, Gumball, the show, uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Um, Owl House, kind of, like... Yeah, you'd recognize it when you see it. Um, it's a very cartoonish styling. Yeah, it's the style that has been 
popularized by like Gravity Falls universe that kind of that Gravity Falls that's what I was that, thinking of yes, yeah Gravity yes. Falls and like yeah. it's also reflects in a lot of um, current kids and YA comics yeah um, it's very popular yeah and like um, some of those are by Molly Nox's tag she, she, she most of her comics are would be considered kids or, or YA, um, mm-hmm. and even her like I, f- I feel like her most adult comic is probably um, Dark, uh, Darkest Nights, and even that like it f- kind of feels young adults. Um, and she yeah. she intends it to be YA. She yeah. said it's like you know YA for a slightly more mature audience. It's kind of like shooting for the high schooler range. Like it has some swearing and some very like light nudity, I think. Um, but it's very like it's kind of PG thirteen. Rather than like PG, but yeah, she goes for YA. It'll be interesting to see if she ever get does stuff outside of that. Well, we don't. Well, we do know she well. does some stuff out. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. There's also some like porn comics that uh, I I didn't get a chance to read, but I did browse through. Um, that Charlotte has read at least one of. Yep. Uh, that I think is like early like fan work, kind of like, or at least I don't know if those are fan comics. Um, she also does fan comics. You know, you can tell she started out on the internet. And we're going to talk about her first big project, which is um, Fe- Strong Female Protagonist, which she drew uh, in conjunction with Brennan Lee Mulligan, who was the writer of this comic. Um, Brennan, Me- Brennan Lee Mulligan, you might know best from College Humor, now Dropout as the DM for the very popular D&D actual p- play show um, Dimension 20. Um, Charlotte and I are both big fans of that and big fans of yeah. Brennan's like online work. So, like, we both came into this with, you know, kind of knowing Brennan's work as a incredible uh, DM in D&D. Like, as an improviser, he is just remarkable. And I, I, it was interesting seeing how that kind of, like, biased me uh, walking into this comic and, like, kind of what I thought this was going to be and then versus what it turned out to be. Um, but, yeah, she, she's just the... I'm sure she, you know, had creative input, but she's the, the artist on that one. Um she is uh she also works on some tv shows like we said she uh, she worked on the owl house for a while um a show called star versus the forces of evil she's got something coming up with um there's a netflix adaptation of one of her books coming she's got a bunch of graphic novels we're going to talk about those over the next couple episodes um the witch boy trilogy i think is her most famous so i think we're covering that in our next episode that's what we're we're doing is all three of the witch boy trilogies um so yeah i'm I'm excited to get into this. Uh, I'll say, let's see. Where, where do I want to start with this? Do, do you want to start with Strong Female Protagonist or hit that last? I feel like that will be the chunk, the biggest part of this uh, conversation, I think. But... Yeah, let's maybe hit around and then then go into the, the big okay, meaty parts of... Uh, yeah. Um, so if you... Uh, but before we do that, if you want to support this show, you can go over to patreon.com slash MyMarvelousYear. We're part of the MyMarvelousYear podcast network. <laughs> that sounds silly yeah, to say. Yeah, it's a but... network now, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess technically. Um, especially if you're uh, if you're listening to this uh, on our public feed, which has replaced the My Ultimate Year feed at this point, um, it uh, you can... Go to patreon.com and for $5 a month, get early access to this show. So if you're listening to this now, there's six more episodes waiting behind you for the, uh, behind you. There's six episodes right behind you. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> there's six episodes waiting for you behind the Patreon paywall. And um, yeah, we'd, we'd love uh, your support. Um, also a dollar a month to get access to the master spreadsheet for both my marvelous year, my ultimate year, and now for extra issues. Uh, we also put out some bonus episodes. Uh, having to do with extra issues so charlotte and i hash out uh our conversation about what we're going to do next 
for extra issues those episodes do go up on patreon just for patreon backers so we kind of we have like um like a round robin i don't know if it's round robin it's an elimination tournament between we each bring three ideas and then we whittle them down one at a time till we only have one left um so we have that conversation on patreon and then at the end of each um theme that we're doing we do a little bonus show where we discuss like you know kind of an overview of what we've covered and yeah yeah we give some awards to the superhero subversions um and picked our favorites so all that's waiting for you on Patreon uh, at the $5 level. We appreciate that. Oh, and uh, especially since this is going to be, this is taking over the My Ultimate Year feed, it would be so cool if we could see some reviews on Apple Podcasts uh, for this show particularly. Um, yeah, that would be great to see. I would really love that. Thank you. All right, let's jump into this. So Brennan Lee Mulligan and Molly Knox Ostertag met each other at LARP camp when they were like, older teenagers did you know this this is what i got from yeah yeah yeah. i read that yeah it's extremely cute that they had this history of like and it was like brennan was coming up with all the ideas for like the worlds and the characters that they were going to be running the like kids through and then molly was um doing like set design and costume design and like drawing the characters out like you know after they would finish like a week-long larp or whatever um you know she would do like basically fan art of the things that they had done um and you can see that you can see that throughout all of her work you know she seems like she she's very rooted in fandom um we're gonna read her hourly comics which are kind of like these little autobiographical things and she's very much like she's a creator who's like a big fan of stuff right i think that comes through um in her work but yeah they got together they wanted to write a comic um at the time she was like 19 uh, Strong Female Protagonist started in 2012, went to 2018. Uh, she was like 1920 when this started. I'm not sure. Brennan was probably a little bit older um, in his young 20s. And he was like just doing improv and bartending. He hadn't really taken off yet with, uh, with the college humor stuff. She was still in school when she started this. Um, and they started writing this webcomic because they both wanted to do something creatively free where they didn't have, you know, like a remit from the higher ups. Um one of the funnier questions I saw during an interview, it was like Comics Alliance was like, so why did you decide to turn this into a webcomic and not, you know, go through something like Image Comics or Top Shelf or something? And both of them were like, Image would never have talked to us. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like a 19-year-old sophomore in, you know, uh, art school and Brendan was a bartender. Like, yeah, yeah, Image yeah. doesn't just take our pitches. <laughs> like, now they do. Now they definitely would. But... Um... Yeah, it wasn't even an option like i think brennan says like i didn't have the number of anyone at image like what what was supposed to do um yeah yeah, no it's it's interesting the like strong female protagonist when you you read the first few pages or even like the first few chapters it's not really issues chapters um they feel very different from uh from the style we know now of Molinox's tag, it's mm-hmm. less clean, I guess. Less ca- less cartoony. It's it feels like more raw in a way. It's bla- it's fully black and white at first, and the it feels yeah I don't know. Scratch less clean yeah. is the is, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Well, it's um, something that's I- interesting to see over the course of her hourly comics, which I think start in like she starts doing these hourly comics, and, and we we'll probably won't talk about them too much as their own, but as like reference. Started in 2016, and it's a thing where, like, it's like a cartoonist challenge online where they draw, like, a three-panel comic every hour. Just a small little quick thing talking about their day. And it's just one day a year they do this. And I've seen a few, like, Nate Stevenson, her uh, her spouse, does this. And uh, 
yeah, I've seen some other cartoonists do it. I think Tiffany Babb has done this too, who's been on our shows before, kind of friend of the show. Um, and uh, something interesting to see is like, she starts in 2016 and it goes all the way up to 2023. And over the course of those eight years, you can see her style getting cleaner and cleaner until it becomes messier, but like, it feels like controlled mess. Um, yeah. And she, yeah, yeah, like, it's like she's, she's feeling free to kind of like, then get scratchy in a more meaningful or like purposeful way. Um, it's kind of funny seeing like how she tries to like alter her style like year by year on those. But yeah, for sure. I mean, like looking at chapter one, you see like th- this is very much watching someone who's a sophomore in art school go all the way through, you know, having graduated and then be getting a full career over the course of these six years. Like, you know, she definitely like hones her skills doing this. And this is her first major work. I think she'd done like some fan stuff online, but it seems like her first major artistic work at least a big long-term one um okay i wanted to ask so strong female protagonist what was your expectation walking into this comic like what would it be like did you have any preconceived notions did you know what this comic was about yeah i mean the the title itself like sells on the superhero maybe parody or at least that's like plays on ideas about the genre with the phrase strong female protagonist Uh, i vaguely expected it to be a superhero version of sorts which is yeah fate decided that we would still do a superhero yeah, version of surface uh, <laughs> this is this is technically episode seven of our superhero yeah, versions thing we'll, we'll talk about it a little i'm sure we'll talk about it a lot but this is more of a superhero version than almost anything we read for that it's a really funny like coincidence dovetailing in here yeah um but like i i don't i think i was expecting it to be more kids friendly than it is to be more aimed at kids which i don't think mm-hmm. maybe like honestly maybe strong female protagonist is the one that we read that is less aimed towards kids or even yeah. ya like it feels like it it is very readable for way for a ya audience but it feels more adult than most of uh, her other comics um, i mean some of the stuff it's discussing i think literally would go over the head of like yeah a 13 year old unless you had a very smart 13 year old yeah absolutely it's i mean there's there's times where they spend 25 pages of just like philosophical discussions and brendan has a background in philosophy and it becomes very clear here <laughs> that yeah he does. so i think that's this thing i expected the less which is like mm-hmm. it's yeah. a very very wordy comic about like philosophy and life and the nature of being a strong person or a good person um and i think it's We'll talk about it more, but it's. I think it succeeds in the way that it's not preachy about it. It's very much like asking questions mm-hmm. and not pretending like it has answers, which I think is very refreshing compared to a lot of superhero stories we we've read, uh, both in X Ray issues and in uh, in my models here. Um, and yeah. and YA stuff, like or at least YA adjacent. Yeah. I think that was my concern walking into. The, okay, so I had a couple concerns coming into this, or at least like preconceived notions. I wasn't worried. Yeah, but like. I thought it would be a strong female protagonist is a very like I don't know it's kind of a very showy like uh like we're woke title right it's very it's cheeky like for sure but it definitely is like putting its you know like social position on its sleeve for sure so I like I kind of had a slight expectation that it might be a little bit more like yeah preachy I guess or like a little bit more like um God, I like I hate I hate the term virtue signaling. It's been so like pulled, you know, like tainted by the like the right wing. But like as yeah. an aesthetic, you know, I think like it's like a valid aesthetic critique 
that like you when you, you know when you feel a comic that feels like somebody bragging about how woke they are right and i think like it, it's hard to make that argument because you do sound like a right-wing troll with it you know because people just use that against like literally any comic that just has a gay person in it and yeah. just be like well it's just virtue signaling by having a gay person and it's like it's a very stupid argument but i but there those things do exist like there are works of art that you can feel you kind of feel like they are patting themselves on the back for like having the answers um i was slightly worried about that and i thought um i talked to my wife a bunch about it because we're both we both watched dimension 20 with brennan and i was like i wonder as like as an improviser and as a dm he's incredible at being able to pull this stuff like off the top of his head but like i wonder if he'll be able to do more than like clever world building and like fun conceptual stuff, right? Like that's the stuff I see him excel at in the D and D is like building these little worlds and building these scenarios and like clever little twists on stuff. But like, is he going to be able to do more than that? And I was extremely pleasantly surprised on both accounts that it was neither preachy, like to a yeah. kind of a shocking degree, it's not preachy, um, and that like it really crafts something that's kind of kind of not world building i think this is an interesting comparison to like invincible i think invincible would be like a good pairing with this and we're, we're probably going to end up reading that for the show or for our own little podcast with dave later um but like as a superhero like building a new world up um this comic is so not interested in the spectacle of superheroes and giving you the classic superhero thrills <laughs> right yeah like there's very little of that there's there's just a little bit of like world building like there's there's really not that much world building it's like there are superheroes now we kind of get to know that there was a past with them but it's all it's also rooted in character and not about like you know the kind of thing i complain about on my mother's here sometime like filling out the wiki page it's not like it, just for someone who does world building as like a career now this this is not his focus here um you walk away not really knowing that much about this world, like, you know, a thousand little details about it that are not just, like, the relationships between the characters. Right? Yeah, and it's also that, it's also linked to the fact that this is kind of a post-superhero world. Like, I I think it's incredibly refreshing that the comic starts with the main character already having quit being a superhero. And, mm -hmm. like, we go from there and from, like, she's already realized that being a superhero is, like, is useless and like the i'll, I'll push i saw that in your notes i will push back on that a little bit like well at least that's that's the realization realization she's come to at first like that's mm -hmm. not necessarily what the comic is saying that's what she thinks at first and like mm -hmm. starting with that instead of having her see having her, us see her as a spiro and then her questioning it and then, like no we can just just have the status quo being like it's afterwards and yeah. we start from there, which is like, I don't know, refreshing. We we lose yeah. less time, it feels like. Yeah. Um, but sure. as a consequence, it is less interested in world building of like a superhero world and like what are the different teams and all that because it doesn't matter to the protagonist's life day to day. It matters to her, like the people she know around her. And it happens that a lot of them are superheroes because she has superpowers and that's the kind of world it is. But like, we're not like the world building is very background or all like it only comes in when it's relevant for for the the matters that are being discussed like there's some stuff about like some kind of cold war between the u.s and china stuff like that but like it's never that important 
Um, no, that, like, that's just that's just real life, <laughs> Charlotte. That no, but like it, it's more it's more like I don't know. It's in the the way describing the coming, it feels more I don't know heightened. But, I guess yeah, heightened. Maybe yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And feel I think like especially in the first like I think it's really disappears after maybe issue like chapter two or three. But in the first few chapters, I think there are some stuff like about the way Europe and. Asia, where like the countries are kind of different, stuff like that. But like, it doesn't matter. It's it feels more like referencing. Well, that's how most superhero universes work. So that's how we work. But it, we're not interested in really exploring that. Like this, the comic is very much about its characters and not, and not about its world. Um, yeah. yeah, it's the yeah. I don't know. The the world building isn't. It's it's character it's, building. It's the opposite of planetary what we read you know we read a yeah. couple episodes ago warren ellis's planetary which was like every issue is a kind of fun twisty concept right like yeah. what if you know the alien ship was sentient what if the fantastic four did this what if like here's a you know kind of a trope and then what if i put a cool twist on it and you just get to see like the spectacle of it and like i had fun with that but like this is just the opposite of that and i kind of expected it to be more like that i expected it to be more like you know yeah. here's a fun idea because brendan's a really clever creative guy so i kind of thought it would be more like him saying like oh i know the tropes inside out let me like subvert them and play with them and it's like it's not really and it's like the tropes that it's playing with are much wider than like specific comic reference yeah so that's the other thing i think it's like the world building is discreet as well, and it's not like mm-hmm. showy in its references. Like I think it's v- also very refreshing that there's not like a Justice League equivalent or an Avengers equivalent where you can see, okay, that's Wonder Woman, that's Superman, that's Batman. Like mm-hmm. you see yeah. that in The Boys, you see that in most of the the superhero versions we read, and this is not the case. Like I can't even really think of one example of a character that's like a direct parody or, or like homage to to a pre-existing Marvel or DC character. Um, they very intentionally have I mean the characters in the comic have Marvel and DC and they talk yeah. about they make Superman jokes to each other. And it's like but it's just enough like it doesn't hit you over the head where it's too often like someone just will make a little kryptonite jab. Yeah. joke. But to, it to it is it feels more real by being less in a conversation with other superhero worlds by yeah, referencing them less. Yeah, that's what surprised me about this, and like I think makes it really stand out is it is not in conversation with Batman or the Justice. Like you said, it's not like this is not saying like okay, but like you know Superman. What if you know I made Superman a real man, <laughs> right? Like Miracle yeah. Man kind of does, you know, and like. But we're specifically talking about Superman and Lex Luthor. Like, this is this is not really strongly in conversation with, like, Marvel and DC Comics. It's in conversation with the kind of, like, like the the assumptions that underpin all superhero comics, which... Yeah, it's not about superhero often... comics. It's about, like, the idea of a superhero, of what that means, of what that is. But, but the, like, in the thing that it gets at is, like, the ideas that underpin superhero comics are not, like... Uh, you know, isolated just to superhero comics, they're usually just ideas that underpin, like, how society views certain issues, right? Yeah. So, like, punching muggers <laughs> is, you know, the solution to muggers, right? Like, that is how superhero comics just function, especially, like, Silver Age stuff on, like, crime is something to be hit, right? Like, to be punched and then jailed, right? And it doesn't 
really question that and you know sometimes it does eventually some comics start to like question that stuff but like you always kind of have to return to the status quo of like well how do you have spider-man if his entire you know like you'll never have a spider-man who's like you know what i'm not stopping petty crime anymore this is not how i want to you know like do my job right like that is just a core assumption built into daredevil and spider-man and then like within that framework or batman right you within those frameworks then you know some writers try to like question that and subvert that to a degree like have daredevil go too far have it be like a pathology that he like can't stop you know beating up people that he loves the violence but like you're never going to get away from that that's so baked into this stuff but so instead of like specifically talking about that they're kind of just talking about like you know like using the ideas of superheroes to talk about altruism and what we do to help each other and is it worth solving you know is it is it worth stopping a mugger when you're not solving poverty right like yeah these questions are are, you know throughout this comic um just as as a small little aside um just to in case anyone read this and has read like some of this i think some people read the first chapter or two and was like okay this is okay i don't know um felt a little lukewarm about it i'll say i probably felt I, i didn't feel lukewarm like i was enjoying it but this comic just ends in 2018 they go on a hiatus and it's been five years and as far as i looked up like even as of a few months ago there was a big reddit thread being like any idea if it's coming back there's been no word and kind of expect it's dead um i when i first started that i was the comic i was like all right well whatever you know kind of ends in the middle by the end i was like actively like bummed that this doesn't get an ending and as the end approached i was like oh, this sucks like this sucks so bad like i'm really into this i really <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. what a bummer that they just ended this so like just just to put where how much i enjoyed this comic uh it turned into something where i'm now actively like kind of frustrated that it just halted um right in the middle and, and, you know what actually really like drives me crazy about that is that it was like the chapter before the chapter where they end they put it brennan put a note being like i think the next chapter will be the last one and then they just start doing it and then they're like okay that's probably yeah. it yeah it's <laughs> and it seems like yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, they both had their careers and they had bigger and better things to move on to. But um, yeah, it's a bummer. But it does show like how invested I get in this. And and I actually think kind of where it ends, I felt more or less satisfied. It doesn't it's like I didn't read this comic for the plot necessarily. Like there's a whole conspiracy thing that like weaves through and that really starts to pick up at the end. And I honestly was a little bored by it and kind of like, oh, if this is what I'm missing out on, I'm not like that bummed out like i don't yeah i mean there are some mysteries and long-running thread but the like the core focus of it is like the discussions and the like search for answers of the main character about like Mm -hmm. what she should do um and i think all of those conversations are interesting like by themselves even dissociated from like the the big superhero stuff that is still present like that it is still a superhero Mm -hmm. story um but yeah it like it's it's not that it's not interesting, but it's it's set dressing for, for it's less the, interesting, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But it's also like not a big part of it, to be honest. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's very like at one point, you know, I read this over the course of a couple of weeks. Sometime farther, like seventy five percent of the way through the comic, this idea of like a conspiracy came up that like our main character Allison and uh, Menace were like talking about, and I was like, what conspiracy? Like it it registered so little with me when it was first first broached that i like had forgotten about it yeah um so um the so something we mentioned already is that it is not preachy it is not preachy to a degree that like 
I feel like I've never really seen a superhero comic do, <laughs> like, this, like, be so undidactic as this comic. Like, this comic is saying, we don't have answers for you. Like, it, to, to kind of set the, like, the standard, it would be like, okay, there's a, there's a character here who uh, is, like, an ex-teammate of the main character. She can turn invisible, and in, I think, chapter three or four, she's kind of become a serial killer of rapists. I think specifically rapists who have, like, gotten away with it, who have not been charged by the justice system, and who uh, there was no justice for their victims, and so she just turns invisible, and she's, like, sneaking up behind these frat boys and slitting their throats, um, or, like, domestic abusers. Um, In any comic that did this, literally, like, I feel like I've read this exact story a thousand times in Marvel and DC, not, like, the exact specifics, but the kind of, like, these people deserve to be punished, but maybe not like this. The, like, the stance that our hero would take of, like, this isn't justice, it's revenge. Like, how many times have we seen that play out? Um, and using the, the like, this... no-killing rule of most superheroes as, like, we don't need more discussion than that. Like, that's it. No-killing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, it's not more complicated than that. Like, once you've done that, you've gone over the the barrier where, like, you, what you're saying isn't valuable anymore. Um, which, which like, is like an so easy out for, for it's it's the flag smasher problem, um, like it's an easy out that many superhero super super villains have. And and I mean like you know like we just read an Electra comic that did the same thing. It was like you know a woman looking to get justice or revenge or whatever, like <laughs> to kill her rapists. And then yeah, Electra and was so like, Electra no, this one like, feels bad about it. Don't. Yep. Like you're not allowed to do this. Like. And that was it, you know. Like, how many comics? How many comics would end with the ambiguity of like, yeah, but did you do the right thing? Like, oh, did that person deserve to go to jail for this? Did that person, you know, like the, the I'm gonna punish these? Like, that's such a common, especially like in the the like 90s into the 2000s. Those are common thing of like the villain is targeting a worthy target, but they're just taking it too far, and our hero has to stop them for that. So like, you know, a, a it's a little bit of what I thought this comic would do is like, you know, what, like when it started this way, it ends with the woman who uh, has been killing all these heroes. And it doesn't, the thing is, it doesn't also land on like, no, what she's doing is good. It ends on like, this is really messy and complicated. Like, these men got away with it. So what is justice in this, in a system without justice? Is she doing the right thing? Is she, you know, arbiter of uh, justice herself? Is she just acting out her own powerlessness in a system that doesn't grant her power like it doesn't end with a judgments call on this and it doesn't for anything like this comic really never takes a hard hard stance on anything and it doesn't feel wishy-washy like it's trying to avoid it it feels like it wants to give the strongest arguments to all sides and then walk away being like yeah this stuff's really complicated like this is stuff that philosophers and ethicists literally like in the comic and outside the comic have been discussing forever and there's not a clear-cut right answer to this this is complicated messy stuff yeah it's Um, not giving answers but it's still exploring the questions like that's the point of this comic and it's mm -hmm, it makes for a very interesting discussion and like a discussion that doesn't have answers and that can feel frustrating but that's like that that doesn't make the comic real life frustrating that's very interesting that's the alan moore complaint about superhero comics is that it infantilizes people into almost like fascistic thinking of like yeah there's simple answers to these things you know you yeah. punish your enemies and you laud your heroes and that's the, the the answer to it 
which is okay if you're eight years old, right? But like when, you know, Alan Moore thinks that like the entire culture is starting to buy into that mindset and really value that mindset, that's, you know, that's kind of his main point, uh, which is, a, you know, a fair point, whether or not that's actually infiltrating people's brains and thinking is another question. But like, yes, this comic refuses to do like, and that's kind of the main core of this comic, I think, is questioning those ideas. Um, and it has really interesting discussions. Like, and it puts, like, it puts our hero in, I think, some really compelling situations where what is right is really hard to parse. And you can feel that it's right. Like, one of the, the main through lines of this comic is what is right in this moment, in this situation, might not be right in another. So that's something, like, she quits being a superhero because there's no need for it anymore. Like, all the super threats have been stopped. So is there need for, like, mass superheroes anymore? Well, maybe not. Maybe there was at the time, but there's not anymore. Um, so, like, for example, um, Feral, her friend who has, like, Wolverine regeneration powers, is donating organs. She's under constant painful surgery to consistently be, like, shipping her organs out to people. Like, she's working with a hospital to do this. Um, and she can, like you know, save 100 people a day, but she's just under, like, 24-7 surgery doing this. And our hero is frustrated by this because she's like, you're not solving the problem. You're just, like, band-aiding, like, individual, like, there's still disease, and there's still, you're not saving everybody. And this is something she keeps coming back to over and over. Like, you know, should we, is it even worth the time doing the small steps if, like, you know, you're not actually solving any problems here? Um like, fundamentally solving a problem, and feeling that frustrated frustration, um, I think that's a very relevant question. I think that sounds silly maybe in the abstract, but, like, I think that's a very pertinent question to, like, individuals, right? Like, yeah. how many causes feel so totally untouchable to us? You know, homelessness, right? At least it's a huge one here where I am, and a lot of people kind of have this, like, well, you know, you're going to give that guy five bucks? Like, that's not going to change anything. Like, you're not actually changing anything about, like, the homelessness crisis. You know, you can't just save everybody by, you know, giving them your loose changeover. You know, like, feeling exhausted by the immensity of the problem so much that you kind of ignore the person in front of you. Yeah. And that's, like, something this explores really well. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about that? I've been talking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the... It's asking the question of like, I mean, basically it's asking the question of how can you save the world is <laughs> at least is the question the, the protagonist is asking herself because she feels like, I mean, the the title Strong Female Protagonist is like playing on the fact that she's basically the strongest person in the world and she still doesn't know how to save the world or if like how, how that's possible, how that works, like you can just punch a villain um, and w which is the thing her villain also realizes, like you can just, I can just manipulate the world into being better. Um, and it's explores that differently through all, all of the different characters. It's, it's interesting how like the, the full cast of secondary characters is very interesting because I feel like each of them is asking a different question about like, how to to try and be better how to try to do good like you talked about feral who's trying who just like goes entirely in like self-sacrifice where she just like sacrifices her life not in dying but in like living only to be operated upon like that's all she lives to do like she can't do anything else um or like the 
there's a whole mutant metaphor that is coming of like uh, people with superpowers that are, are like not really powers but just like they look inhuman uh, and mm-hmm. like the discrimination that comes from that um, and there's a whole storyline about one of her friends from the, like former super group she was a part of who like looks kind of a bat person kind of like a bat person <laughs> I always thought um, they looked like a mole <laughs> maybe they're oh, yeah I don't know maybe uh, yeah, I don't know what they were supposed to be. But, but I think yeah, he has, yeah. like, some kind of bat sonar or something. I think that's his power. Mm. I, I guess yeah, maybe. could work with the mole also. Moles uh, have anyway. sonar, too. I don't know if that's true. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, but, like, he, he has this whole, like, su- support group and, like, um, organization that helps people that have powers that cause... I can't remember what the, like, words and terminology that's used in the comic, like, bio Biodynamic, something. I think. Biodynamic yeah. people, yeah. Um, yeah. And, like, there's a whole... Like, it goes all in on mutant metaphor and talking about... Uh, unclearly, like, is it about queer people? Is it about, like, yeah, it's, people okay, with so handicaps? Did, did is it this about... work for you? Because this is, I think, literally the one part where it veered into kind of, like, almost parody for me in a way that felt slightly sour. Like, I, 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 are you bringing this up because it's in my notes? Because it's, like, one of the only parts that I felt yeah, a little, yeah. like... Uh... I, I don't know. It... it, it felt weird at times but it was still like i don't know that's it it makes sense to talk about it in the in the way of the comic it's it maybe felt i don't know it it didn't feel as messy in a way um or like the i don't know the opposite there's more conflict in the other aspects of of discussions like when it's about ali discussing with Feral, the fact that she's self-sacrificing or discussing with the character that's going around King Rapist. Like, there's more conflicts in their discussions. Um, here it feels, like, very... I don't know, softening the the angles, like, being like, well, we don't know, but that's okay. Like, well, I'm just here to, to try and help you as best as I can, and that's kind of as far as it goes, I feel. Which, which um, is... F- I, I think the stuff that felt a little iffy to me was the, like, where it did feel like trying to overlay the like queer and trans support groups onto this like mutant thing where like like specifically one of the the notes i have here examples is people arguing like there's one girl who's just green and she's like kind of um not complaining but you know like airing her problems to the rest of the group and this other person there is upset because they're like a rock monster or something and they're like you know, there's nothing that, like, a, a coat of pink paint wouldn't, like, fix for you, <laughs> right? Like, you're beautiful and people, you know, and, you know, there's this, like, argument here. And then a third person comes in who's kind of like a robot with, like, a spirit in a goldfish bowl being like, I have to leave. Like, all of you using the word bodies is so triggering to me. I asked you not to use the word bodies. And that just felt, like, so close to parody that, like, I was like, this is, you know... I don't know. It felt blasé in a way that didn't work for me. Yeah. But, but it wasn't like offensive. You know, it wasn't quite as tone deaf as like the um, new warrior snowflake and safe space stuff. <laughs> it wasn't quite <laughs> there. But it was. Yeah. It was a little bit inching that way more than the rest of the comic did. So like sometimes that overlaying of stuff felt a little too like casual and playing with you know real world strife in a way that felt too silly to be taken seriously. Yeah. I mean, I think that's two things. I think it falls into the same problem as like the as the mutant metaphor in Marvel in like not being clear or specific enough 
Um, yeah, yeah, like yeah. trying to to be at the same time a metaphor for for queer people, for people of color, for people with handicaps, and like you can do all at the same time because that's not like I don't know it it makes it all messy and and mumbled, uh, and also like I think it's the area of discussion of the comic where the main character is the less least involved directly because mm-hmm, like yeah. just, just observing, because she. Yeah. Most of the scenes there, she's not involved in because she's not by she she looks like a normal human being, so she wouldn't be in those uh, in those reunions and stuff like that. And so there, it's it's less the comic is less focused on those scenes being the the main subject of discussion of like the chapter uh, in the way that the thing about feral or the thing about the invisible person are. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, m- maybe, like, it would have been more of a focus in the eighth chapter. I don't know. But it feels like yeah. the it feels like the part of the comic where it's less focused. And then, and in consequence, like, it's, yeah, it it's messier and less, less clear about what it's trying to say about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. like, you well, can admit it's it being parody or being just awkward. Well, it um, has that thing where, like, you, you've said this before where like the problem with the mute metaphor is like black people don't explode yeah <laughs> right like they don't explode and you know kill a room full of people um whereas like mutants do so like a college campus being slightly wary of having mutants makes more sense of you know than a college can't be wary of having people of color um so it kind of veered into that where i was like the you know being an incorporeal being uh like having a fish person and a rock man or uh, whatever, like, and a robot there trying to use that as, like, a metaphor for, like, trans and, like, passing versus non-passing, which is what I, like, was reading that as, felt, like, a little silly and kind of like, yeah, but, you know, there's a very specific set of issues here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I, it's interesting because I read it more as, like, I don't know, the way, like, the, the people, the characters in the comic work and the way their powers influencing their appearance work and their discussions around it felt more like discussions about disability to me and, like, people sure. with, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. like severe burns or stuff like that. Like, yeah, because that, it's that very much about people who don't look like look like what the norm of a human person looks like defined by society uh, which like is also applicable by to queer people but felt i don't know the the way it came off in the comic felt more like talking about disability to me but mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean yeah, yeah. well it's also I, that it's unclear know, and people can have different interpretations of it which is fine like you know that that's not a, that's not really a complaint also like i do have this you know as a very minor critique but this is like four pages out of the 800 so like yeah and it's yeah, just yeah. a minor little side note so i don't really want to get hung up on it like this was extremely minor to me and it, it is not like a running through like a, as a whole and it's far far I, from the main focus of the comic it's very yeah. secondary so like a couple of the parts that i really liked like the conversation around um i liked the segment where allison goes to a party and there's a guy who's like heading towards the exit with a drunk almost incapacitated girl and she steps in Allison steps in to be like you know who's this girl do you know her what's her name like are you leaving with a passed out girl like basically just worrying about date rape and then making a big show of like does anyone know this guy what's happening here and like you know hoisting him up like threateningly um and her being kind of 
viewed as like the villain here people being like i i think that was like a pretty good conversation about the like social awkwardness of being like no he's a good guy like we wouldn't do this don't worry about this and her being like you know you'd rather just not cause a social confrontation than like protect your friend yeah but then that gets spun on her a little bit when she brings this girl home to her roommates and then she's like she's scolding the party for being so like um like her uh, the, the the girl's roommates are saying like um you know oh my god she's so stupid i can't believe she got like this blackout drunk and allison being like well she should be able to allowed to get drunk without being like raped at a party it's not her fault and these other girls being like yeah of course but like she should still be careful right like you don't understand this like you have the this privilege right and i think this is like a really good conversation of privilege where like yeah. allison is viewing it from this like really abstracted sense right um it kind of reminds me of like i think it's get out where like um the white girlfriend starts to like wants to back talk to the cop <laughs> uh in front of her black boyfriend it's been so long since i've seen this movie so if i'm kind of misremembering this but you know like yes she's technically right that the the cop should not be harassing them but no she's not going to be the one to face consequences right like you can you're not quote unquote like asking for it by getting dr- like blackout drunk at a party where you don't know anybody but at the same time, like, it is not unwise to protect yourself, <laughs> you know, and live in the real world. Um, so, like, I think I, all that really worked for me as kind of, like, an interesting view of, like, privilege of, like, how it just doesn't even occur to someone who this, you know, like, she can't be. Like, she doesn't get drunk. She couldn't be attacked by a man. So, like, to her, you know, it, it's not something that, like, the girl should be, it's not even scolding, you know, but just, like, warned of. Um yeah, all that was really interesting to me. And then the other part that really grabbed me was she coerces this shitty boyfriend or ex-boyfriend into helping somebody, helping her friend Farrell basically escape this life of, like, permanent surgery um, by, like, boosting her powers. Don't get to get into the detail. But she enforces her will over a guy, like, physically over this guy to make him do something that will help the world, like, in a huge, enormous way. And doesn't really do him except kind of like, I think they say sprain his elbow and like wound his pride for like four hours, right? Like mostly inconvenience the guy and like maybe traumatize him a little bit, but physically not really hurt him or even violate him except like just making him do something he doesn't really feel like doing. Um, and then that moves into literally, I counted it, 28 issues, 28 pages, which is 14 weeks of real time where she just has a philosophical debate with her teacher in the park about this, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a really like, um, I think that's where you, if, if that sounds miserable to you, this comic might not be for you. And I, I kind of wanted to point that out. Like, I think there's people for the, whom this comic would be like, well, that sounds awful. That is not what I want from a comic book. <laughs> like... But to me, I ate it right up. I thought it was, like, very interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah. And it's a real, it gets a really compelling question. The way that they set that up, where it's like, this guy is just not doing it because he doesn't want to. Right? Like, he's slightly scared of the repercussions. But also, even if he wasn't, he's saying, like, I just don't want to help you. Like, you're a jerk. I don't want to help you. And so she, because she's more powerful, just enforces it. And is like, you're going to help. Like, it's going to save thousands of lives for you to be inconvenienced for four hours. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. And then she kind of racks her brain over it. And it kind of hits it from all angles. And, like, one of my, like, favorite parts of the comic. Like, really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think one of, if not the best, like, 
the best thing the comic does is make you care about the main character and make you understand her and make her into a good character. Like, she could very easily have been annoying or, like, a non-presence, like a, a an excuse to have those discussions around her. Um, but, like... I don't know. She, I like her. Like she, she's a very interesting yeah, character. Yeah, she's yeah. very fi- fall, fall, fallible, fallible. My English yeah. is. No, yeah. I was about to say she screws up. Like that's. Yeah, know, she screws or, up all the time, and she's like, but she asks words. herself in what way she's screwing up, or if she actually yeah. is screwing up, and it's never. It's sometimes not clear if she's screwed up or not, um, and like. I don't know. The comic could. Be, she could very easily be annoying. I guess. Um, and like I, some some stuff I read from interviews and like about the the strong female protagonist title, it's like it's also about how some writers and some like studios and stuff like that like use the word strong female protagonist and to then write a character that is theoretically strong, but that's it, and that's that's what the character is and that's not even though like that's not enough to write an interesting female character or an I interesting a, I character had a, at all i had um, a girlfriend a while ago who would talk about that where like movies you know there, there's kind of a, a line of thinking in like movies where like um to have like a strong female character oftentimes just means like uh you know like a girl who kicks ass Right, like yeah. it's a girl, but you give her masculine traits, right? Like yeah. you give her traditionally masculine traits, and like not that there's anything wrong with like, you know, wrong with that, right? Like with Kill Bill, her being like an ass kicker does not mean that that's like a bad female character, but that but it also like, has kind of to big... be a character built around that, which often sure I think just as the, the narrow focus of like this is what makes you know like when you think of like strong female characters, it means that they're like ass kickers and they they stand right up with the men and they do the same things that the men do right so like i think that you know that's such like a narrowed focus here yeah um that this comic really avoids i just like i so appreciate like the the, the situation with that we we're talking about where she has to like kidnap this guy i like like it doesn't give her an out for it at the end of it you're still kind of like yeah it might have been like kind of an immoral thing to do but like you know it, it just like it can this might just end with you having done something bad to somebody that is good for somebody else, and you just have to live with that ambiguity. Like, you just have to live in this morally gray area, yeah. like, where you really hurt somebody, and maybe they, you know, you don't know how much you hurt them. You don't know how traumatized they are, but you did it, and now you have to deal with it, right? And it happens, and there's not, like, here's the set consequences, here's the, like, the moral lesson at the end, you know, yeah. oh, at the I... end... It walks out, you know, here's the justification or for whatever. Um, it just lives in the ambiguity, which I think is really smart. Okay. I think, like, structurally, the the fact that this is, like, an ongoing comic, an ongoing web comic where you don't have, like... You have separate chapters, but they're, like, very long. The longest one is, like, 160 pages, I think. Um, and you have that very ongoing nature of, like, I don't maybe, what was it, one page a week or something? Like Two, you, two a week, yeah. Like, it feels like there's a momentum, a momentum and a stamina and a, an, abs, an, an absence of, like, divisions that help that, like, feeling of we're continuously asking questions and there, but there isn't really resolution. There isn't a set endings to any of those problems and subjects. And they stick with 
they stick with the character and with the story. Um, and like there are there are like separations between chapters to avoid it feeling too, I don't know, exhaustingly long. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the, I do think that the like webcomic approach helps that feeling of just it's an ongoing debate and questioning of uh, yeah of, uh, yeah it feels like of they give the themselves world. they yeah. give themselves the space that they need for that. Like I said, that conversation with the philosophy professor went carried out over 14 weeks of real time yeah <laughs> which i do feel like if you were reading this in real time you would be like please god please move on <laughs> but like you know sitting down to read it all at once it reads totally fine yeah. but i think it means that this can kind of evolve naturally you know when you're writing it like week by week by week it, it's fun i've never read a wipe comic to this like i've read a little bit here and there more comedy stuff than like um something serious like this so like it was kind of fun seeing like the format what, what do you think you've had more experience with web comics what do you think like the big differences between this and like a traditional superhero comic what what could this do that like a traditional superhero comic couldn't do i mean like first of all with this what you read you know comes from the writer and the artist like it is entirely mm -hmm. up to them all of the creative decisions um, which like there are some webcomic where you have editors and stuff like that like like in, on platforms such as Webtoon and stuff like that like you can have editors but there is still like that creative freedom does matter and does make a difference um, between what it would have been like if it had been in a traditional comics um, system I guess mm -hmm. um, I yeah I mean I can't imagine this comic in in the traditional comics like traditional medium or if, if it had been a, an image comic or anything starting starting off it had it would have been so different i feel like well um, it wouldn't have that space to be like it's such a unique product in that it like it lives it, it's i mean it's genuinely like 80 percent just two people in a room chatting there's like yeah i don't know four big fights maybe and the fights are like pretty quick like we get very little like theatrics or like spectacle superhero bombast here right like yeah. and i feel like at the beginning they are like well we got to do some of that and then it quickly is like well we don't because well, do don't like, have super villains like you have characters that used to be super villains but the superheroes don't really fight them like there's one big fight at the beginning and then the super villain against whom she is fighting like becomes a recurring presence that she's just talking to for the rest of the of the comic and then mm -hmm. like towards the end there, there there is a big like big spectacle with giant robots and stuff like that but it's all in someone's head and it's all metaphorical um mm -hmm. but like yeah those are the two main instances i can think about because yeah it is uh, because it's a post superhero world like it has superhero characters but it doesn't have superhero fights because there's no one there's no one really to fight and she's um, not interested in that. And I think yeah. if this had not been a web comic, I think it would feel like it has to do that stuff. The same way you feel yeah. that with like, um, I'm trying to think of a specific run, but like, there's so many like superhero comics where I, you you feel like the fight, um, they feel like they have to put the villain in the fight in each issue because that's like the expectation, especially yeah. back in like the Silver Age, maybe even to the Bronze Age of stuff where it was like, you got to have a little villain, you got to have a little punch fight over two or three pages um i remember people being like like i would somewhat complain about how like shoehorned in some of those fights felt and people would be like you're reading a superhero comic what do you expect <laughs> like why are you even reading these if you don't want to fight every issue and it's like i don't know sometimes it doesn't it feels shoehorned in um 
Yeah, yeah, I like like that aspect is interesting, and I think really could only work because if you were doing single issues, you kind of have to have a smaller arc, so it doesn't have that time yeah. to like breathe also and do just things at its own pace. Um, it's not that funny, which I didn't expect. I kind of thought it would be cheekier. Um, there's very few yeah, jokes. Yeah, it's in cute it. in parts, but it's never. Yeah, it's really very funny, and it's never. It's very much never laugh out loud funny, and it's not trying to be at all. Yeah, um, no, it, it's not like it fails at trying to be funny. There's, there's a few. Uh, let me see. What's the? Jo- I liked the joke. <laughs> she's so she's at the end. She's in the super villain or ex super villain's head, like you said, and um, it's revealed that like the security system of his like mental fortress uh, is his like the person describes it as like the total personification of all that he views as strong and powerful, and it turns out that it's her, like a giant version of her. And she looks and she sees it and she goes, oh, Patrick. And then it, like, punches her. <laughs> like, she's just touched that, like, he yeah. thinks that highly of her. That, like, subconsciously he views her as, like, the symbol of strength. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, but that's, yeah. that's what kind of what I'm saying, though. Like, it's it's cute and it's it's cute because yeah. it's anchored in characters you think about, you 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 care about. And, like, you you enjoy their interactions and them having fun with each other. But it's, like... I mean, it it is kind of funny, but it's... Well, that's, like, the closest thing to a joke, because that yeah. has the joke and then, like, the punchline of, like, and then her getting punched by it. That's, like, the closest thing this has to, like, you know, set up and punchline. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, you're right. It's just kind of, like, people chit-chatting, but it's not trying to do banter or anything. Um, yeah. Really cool comic. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad we read this. I'm glad this, like, pushed me to go push through it. Even at the beginning, I had seen a few people in the Slack had started it. And kind of felt like a little underwhelmed by it. I guess, you know, the first couple chapters, which I kind of get. It feels like they're getting their feet under them initially. But right around maybe the time it starts to turn color is when it like really kicks into high gear for me. And you feel like both these um, creators really like hit their stride. So, um, yeah, it turned out to be something I'm really excited. And if they ever bring it back, I'd be thrilled. You know, like I would I would love to. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think they're both very busy with like big projects and i think this you know the the dividends on this project are not going to be huge but um yeah yeah really cool i uh, i'd be excited to read more web comics sometime you know that's something we potentially could bring up for uh, in extra issues yeah themes um it's just it's something i haven't really explored too much of yeah. all right do you have anything else on strong female protagonist before we move on to the other things? um i mean we we talked about it at the beginning but yeah it's funny that this was probably the most superior subversion mm-hmm. that we read <laughs> more yeah. than like i don't know the boys is very much a superior subversion it's very much about superheroes but the other yeah. Yeah, yeah. stuff we read for the first wave of of, uh, of episodes like they were they had superheroes and they were subverting them in some ways but they miracle weren't. man's pretty close to a you know yeah I, yeah i don't miracle know Sub- subversion is kind of a wonky word because it's not Maybe it's subverting the like tradition of superhero comics. Well, I guess what I'm thinking but... about is more like they're most of them weren't about superheroes. They were using the idea of superheroes to talk about something else. Even Watchmen, mm-hmm. um, whereas yeah, I think watch- The Boys Watchmen is very much yeah. yeah. But whereas I think The Boys is very much about superheroes, um, and even like even Peter, Peter Cannon is more about superhero comics than it is about superheroes. Yeah, that's the thing is that like. Most of those felt like they were about superhero comics, and this yeah. doesn't. This feels like it's about the idea of like heroes, heroes, period, and like, or just like the idea of helping people, period, right? Which is baked yeah. into like being a superhero, is superheroes are there to help, but like 
what does that mean um so yeah it's so so interesting yeah um, good job brennan and molly like really really had a good time with this yeah um all right so let's do the small stuff and end on darkest night um we read some lord of the rings fan comics uh which are on her website these are there's like eight of these i think they're on uh what is it archive of our own yeah 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 which i've never never spent time on though i've heard about it quite a bit before you sweet summer child <laughs> um god what did i just i just saw somebody i saw a a tiktok of someone like getting ao3 pulled up on a, a nintendo switch like trying to like <laughs> hack it and they're like if it can be done we'll do it like we'll get ao3 <laughs> over down here um they're uh they're queer fan comics of lord of the rings they're like sam fredo shipping um I feel nothing about this. <laughs> it is it is purely like, you know, it's headcanoning something that I really like. I really love Lord of the Rings. And I think I'm not one who normally... I'm not one who's, like, particularly strongly against, like... I'm not against shipping, obviously. Um, but for Lord of the Rings, like, the Frodo-Sam relationship is so... Like, to me, it's really clearly like a really strong male friendship and i actually think like touchingly so in the way how like delicate and tender and like vulnerable it is and you know uh anti-toxic masculine like the the friendship between them that like making it headcanoning it as queer actually kind of ruins what i think is really special about it it's not just kind of like oh here's two friends and you made them like you know you ship them like, it kind of eradicates what I think is actually, like, really touching about that. Um, but that's just me and my, like, reading of it. So, you know, like, this is <laughs> this is basically her just playing out her own, like, headcanon and stuff. So, well, so uh, like, it's, have you read it's just not her, for me. Have you read her Polygon article about, like, mm-hmm. about exactly yeah. this? Um, which yeah. is, which yeah, is yeah. very interesting article. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really cute comics. I, like, I really... I, they, they're not that, like... Most of them are either just cute moments between Sam and Fro- like I think most of them are adaptations of like most of them are like from straight the... out of the books and just yeah exactly you know. and even w- there's one that's like an epilogue with old Sam and even that is like inspired from cut scenes well, that from one, Lord of the Rings that one's totally made up but yes yeah yeah but um, it is like taking it is taking inspirations from like actual stuff Tolkien wrote the most yeah. like head y and like complete fan fiction is the one with like the first meeting of of Bilbo and Frodo and headcanoning Frodo as being friends and it's it's a really cute comic and it's the one that's m- m- most of a comic actually because some of them feel more like illustrations of single like, scenes single scenes from from books mm-hmm. and this one is the most like an actual comic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's cute. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, same thing here. I don't have mm, that much to say because most, to be clear, most of them are very short. Like it's, mm-hmm. it would be the equivalent of like maximum four pages in a like traditional comic format. Um, it is yeah, interesting and, though to see like even with these, watching her progress through them though. Yeah. Because she, uh, you know, when she first starts doing them, the timeline's a little wonky because it's not clear when she started drawing these versus when she started uploading them she only really uploaded them like in 2020 but it seems like she probably was drawing these much earlier um but like you can see huge improvement in the way that she uh like confidence yeah. in like the storytelling um but yeah yeah it's, it's fan comics i'm never gonna be like i i can't imagine a fan comic that i get too <laughs> invested in that's but that's just that's just my thing um the hourly comics are fun like i said before those are just kind of like they're little biographical things of like, here's what my day looks like through like three panel 
comics. Um, she's very good at these. Nate Stevenson does the same thing. And uh, those are really fun, too. It's kind of fun seeing, you know, like, these spouses do these comics and they're both in each other's comics. And it's, like, kind of this cute little parasocial thing getting to, like, you know, peek inside their marriage. Um, and the two of them being cute together. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, not too much more to say about those. But, like, they're worth checking out. They take five minutes to read through all of them. They're all on our website. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're an interesting exercise. And they also, like, are good to to gauge the like evolution of an artist because she's yeah, like you said she's been doing mm-hmm. it since 2016 something like that so you have like yeah a few years of her art style evolving um which is which is fun it's, cute. it's really it's it's so interesting seeing like 2017 tw- like 2016 kind of rough 2017 to 2019 getting like cleaner and smoother 2020 gets like pretty detailed and then like 2021 i think is like it starts getting scratchy and rough again right yeah and, like letting it to be looser and kind of like more in control well like yeah like i said kind of a a controlled looseness to it uh yeah Yeah. it's fun okay so we haven't really talked about like song for protagonist we talked about a ton she was the artist on that not the writer um we're gonna talk about darkest night which is her substack comic and had the best hunter in the village met her death which is just a one-off single comic that she did i think it's probably worth talking about like the thing she writes about (laughs) which is uh gender and sexuality and like queerness and identity uh in coming to terms with your identity i think like at least so far as far as i know that is like the through line of everything she does um i know that's definitely like the witch boy i haven't read too much about um God, what is it? Uh, Shattered Sea or Girl from the S- Shattered Warrior or Girl from the Sea, which we're going to cover in the third episode. Um, so maybe you know she veers away from that, but otherwise, nope. like that's <laughs> definitely what she like focuses and hones in on. And I think basically for a YA audience, always um, like the best hunter in the village has some like nudity to it, but it's not sexual particularly. I think like you know, if, unless you had you know squeamish puritanical parents, you know, this is PG thirteen um and it is it is all like you can tell at least for me it feels like all this is molly knox ostertag um cathartically working out her own like identity uh through her comics and like exercising her uh you know like own emotions and feelings um like the comics feel like pure catharsis to me both for herself and for the reader who i think is generally trying to aim towards I think you can have kind of a universal view of like anyone who kind of feels like an outcast in whatever way specifically, but I think um, it's specifically trying to hone in on like gender and sexuality stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so like that that is the the lens. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Do you think like that does that read true to you? Yeah, that, I mean, for, at least from what we read so far, yes. Um, yeah. And it's I think for the most part using also like fantasy ideas to talk about queer 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 stuff um like the how both how like especially how the best hunter in the village met her death if you look at it very literally like there's no queerness in it it's all oh, like but but the metaphor the metaphor like you know no offense to the comic i think the comic's kind of okay i don't think this is like the strongest thing we've read from her but the metaphor like punches you in the nose, right? Like no, I agree. But like, it's not a queer comic in in that it it is about like a queer relationship or like it's not literally a, about character transitioning. Queer. Yeah. It's like yeah. yeah, it is metaphorically about queerness. I think it's like 
interest it's an interesting object of like her trying like writing about about it it's not like it, it's interesting in the context of reading her comics as a whole on its own like yeah it's, it's a fun little comic it's, it's an interesting little comic more more than fun um but it's yeah it's not it's not that uh that that interesting compared yeah, to, it's to a, some of her it's other a, stuff it's a woman who, i mean it kind of feels about <sighs> compulsive heterosexuality that's that's how i read it yeah there's a woman who's like in a marriage feels you know very like i don't want to say stuck in a marriage but like feels very like you know kind of trapped in one role uh and is very tempted to leave and become something new and then you know when she does her husband can't accept it and kind of keeps chasing after her um yeah it's good it's uh it's short this one literally takes like four minutes to read yeah (laughs) so i actually kind of felt like buying this one for five dollars was just me like paying for strong female protagonist because i was like uh, five bucks for like a 90 second read <laughs> but like sorry for the protagonist was free and i did buy like six of her her other books in paperback so um yeah darkest is the night i think is really strong this is her substack comic um this is about that, that you you mentioned the fantasy thing i want i want to get back to that um that this is all through a fantasy lens but this comic is about um a young woman in sedona california um so, wait, Sedona? Yeah, right? No, am I mixing this up? I, I think it's in Joshua no, Tree. No, no, Sedona. Of that yes, know. it's a Joshua Tree. Sedona's in Arizona. I just went to Joshua Tree. That was the point I was going to make. Is I was just there uh, <laughs> taking a little, like, long weekend um, out there in the desert. It was really cool. Uh, so it was kind of cool seeing it in this comic. Thank you for knowing your American geography better than me who lives... Listen, m- not- my mom is a big U2 fan, so that's mostly why I know <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. It's 90 minutes away from my house, and I was just there, and I couldn't yeah. remember the name of it, but you could. Um, it's about a young woman there, probably, I don't know, 20, something like that. Like I think that, yeah, I think characters, I think the characters 18, are supposed to be, 20. yeah, around 18, something like that. Yeah. Um, who lives there with her grandmother and takes care of a monster in the basement that she needs to feed her own blood that's, like, tied to her. Like, its life force is tied to her life force, and it's this, like, ball and chain around her ankle that she has to keep taking care of this thing or will escape and hurt someone and kill someone uh and an old childhood friend comes back who has transitioned since they last saw each other um this trans girl named nessa um and uh, it's kind of a romance comic between the two of them um it's really good like i think this we were just talking about really bad ya comics in my marvelous year <laughs> we read this really <laughs> kind of boring marvel comic she gets across so much characterization just through small moments of like facial expression and she does really simple faces right these are not like hyper detailed but she gets so much uh so much across just through like facial expression and through um minimal dialogue um she really has a knack for for like very fluid simple storytelling um yeah what do do you think before i kind of get deeper into this yeah, it's interesting because you described it as, like, a romance comic, which there is, like, the relationship between the, the two main characters is at its core. But I think the... I don't know. I think what she's trying to do has more to do with, like, the the monster in the basement than with the, the, the romance part of it. You're, yeah, you're um, right, you're right. It's kind of a... I don't, it's not quite a horror comic, but it's, like, it it, it is... It has that, I don't know, weight that pressure that 
basically sort of Damocles around uh, above it that is felt throughout it. And I think she does a very good job of making that, you know, that burden felt and in all its, how impactful it is for, for the life of the main character. Okay. Um, what? Okay. 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 What is it a metaphor for? Because <laughs> this somewhat frustrated me. I found the character really compelling. I found the character's like psychological hangups compelling her like problems with identity her issues with like closeness feeling you know beholden to like responsibility that she feels tied down to this place that she can't leave i felt slightly frustrated that it was a little dragon monster in the basement when basically all of that works without the dragon monster like she can have hangups about her identity and feeling um like a hard time opening up and getting close and letting people in especially having to do with her responsibility to family which is ultimately what this is kind of about because she has a grandmother who's also like sick and that she needs to stay home for and her mother like relies on her i kind of felt like it didn't need the monster and it felt almost like it felt kind of like tacked on i don't know maybe not tacked on but just like unnecessary (laughs) i guess because it, it really, like, it doesn't add too, too much for me and almost, like, obfuscates the core of this comic to me. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? That's interesting. I Honestly, I didn't think about that, like, of what the comic would be without the monster, without, like, the, the fantasy aspect of it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess you're right. Like, the comic wouldn't be that different without it. But it is... I don't know, I appreciate the the enhance like the metaphor enhances it in a way. Um it feels I guess more... I I, th- I had a hard time wrapping my head around the metaphor here, what the metaphor really was necessarily. Well I think uh, like in the way I, I think that's like an advantage an advantage of it of being like vague about what it represents. Like it it's it is it represents trauma, but it's vague what the specific trauma is because you don't it, in universe the trauma the character has is like specifically what the monster is making her go through uh, what it represents is like more vague familial trauma um but like i don't know the fact that it doesn't have to if there wasn't the monster it feels like the comic would have to go into an explanation of what specifically happened to her like what what caused her to to be traumatized um yeah. and i think like the the monster metaphor helps it be less focused on what happened to her and more focused on how she reacts to it, how she lives her life with that trauma. Um, and I think it's very successful at that. Yeah, like at making us feel that. And also, I also think like keeping it vague makes it easier to to feel it to feel it as a reader. Oh, like identify, sure, identifying yeah. it to it, which I think well, she, also helps she, it. I read something in like, um, like an interview where she was talking about Witch Boy and how, you know, I, it, we'll talk about that next time. But it's it's about, you know, like bucking gender roles. Right? Yeah. Um, but she didn't want to have it be too specific to, you know, being queer, being trans, like what specifically is going on with the character because she wants to leave it open for people to kind of like map on their own you know like their own struggles and kind of find their own catharsis through it um you know for kids not to feel like oh well this is about 
you know, a trans girl. Well, I can't yeah. relate to that. I'm just a queer boy, right? Like, um, w- whatever the case. So, I, like, there's something to that. I just think, like, this comic is really specific in every regard about the characters. Like, this is a, a butch lesbian who's in love with a trans girl, like a very feminine trans girl, um, with, you know, like a very specific family background instead of family dynamics. And then the monster feels like it's not filling any of that out anymore. Like, it feels... Okay, so this this is going to ruffle some fe- <laughs> some feathers. One of my favorite critics wrote a small little review of Everything Everywhere All at Once, which um, I'm kind of mid on that movie. I liked it okay. And I, actually, I don't even know if I agree with her review for Everything Everywhere All at Once here, but I think it kind of gets at something I'm talking about. She wrote, I want to watch a version of this movie that doesn't feel the need to coat everything in super heroics and understands that a story about an immigrant family who are struggling with generational conflicts of change while being at the end of their financial rope is enough, right? So, like, the idea that, like, in order to make an adult story about just real people struggling palatable to an audience, you have to kind of wrap it up in some kind of, like tasty little genre package you have to make it enticing with a mystery or some fantasy or some everything everywhere at once i think the fun of that movie is largely like in the style and the kinetics of it and the editing and the martial arts and everything so like yeah i, I really know. agree <laughs> it's a weird take for me that that impairs it anyway like i, I agree I, I with get... it i agree with that take dissociated from the movie i guess yeah <laughs> i, I actually kind of do too because like in general i kind of get I, like i get what she's saying that like you know a mass audience wouldn't turn out for a story about Michelle Yao struggling with, like, you know, her daughter and this generational is- impact if it didn't have all the goofiness surrounding it, right? So, like, I think that that's kind of her main point is that, like, it's kind of a... It's, it's somewhat of a critique of the audiences, of, like, audiences not showing up for movies that don't also treat them to, like, yeah, this is kind of a fun little, like, thrill ride. You need to be, like, force-fed <laughs> a story about, you know, um, something real with something, like, sugary uh involved as well so like yeah i I don't really want to talk about that movie specifically because i i kind of don't agree with her i just think it's an interesting point in the abstract and that's what i feel about this though i feel that about this and i think like it's still strong enough like i'm she's about to finish darkest night i'm really excited to see where it goes i can't wait to like read the ending of it i got really invested in this but i do feel somewhat like the genre trappings of this feel like perfunctory it kind of feels like you know i like working in genre so like i'm gonna put in a monster into this thing where i don't actually know how much it like strongly serves the story so but that's you I know think, just i don't know i i think i see what you mean but i also think like that's just the kind of story that she's interested in talking in like yeah yeah, yeah she yeah, it's yeah. Uh, more like it's the kind of angle she's more interesting in using to talk about the the things she wants to talk about like exactly mm-hmm. in the same way that she does in how the best inside the village or well, in, okay so the difference between how the best hunter works though is that the metaphor is key to that functioning right it would be like if how the best hunter in the village the character in that talked explicitly about how she felt like she was stuck in a marriage that did not like help her you know like she is gay and she's stuck in a straight marriage because of like cultural pressure and compulsive heterosexuality like if it was talking about that explicitly and made that clear and then also there was a monster that represented her being able to go off and be a lesbian (laughs) right like because this comic i think Uh. it it made me it made me realize that i think molly knox ostertag is a strong enough writer that she might not need like 
it almost felt like a crutch a little bit, like the monster stuff in this, that like, I think she has a strong enough voice and a clear enough perspective that I can just be engaged in characters having real world struggles and that like the sugar coating, which, you know, might be because she likes to do it. I don't want to say that she's like pandering. But I also don't agree that it's sugarcoating. I guess I think like yeah, that was fair. In yeah. my read of it, it like the the metaphor it's, helps it strengthened it, it yeah. actually. Um, like, but I I think like your your read is totally valid. But like I I don't think it's universally true that using a fantasy metaphor to talk about a real thing like is the easy way out or is like a more childish approach. Um, no, no, I don't. I and don't I also, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to make, like, a new rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, I know. <laughs> you know. All stuff in general. But, like, it just felt in this in this instance specifically because I think she hones in so clearly on all the struggles that this character was having. The thing that I was least interested in is that she's tied to a dragon in the basement. Yeah, no, that, that's because absolutely I was, fair. Yeah, and, and that felt, like, superfluous to the struggle. Like, I was like, yeah. Well, also, I, I will say dragon, I was disappointed yeah, by seeing the actual monster like i liked it better like because for the first i don't know i think two chapters we don't mm-hmm. i think for the first chapter we don't exactly know what's going on like what she's hiding in her basement or what she has to do every night um and then we slowly learn that there is a, a monster but for the most part it's hidden until it's not um yeah, okay and, and i think, think i liked it better before monster, we see it be- when it's more monster looks like charlotte no, I, I read it. I, I, yes, I read your notes and I yeah, don't agree. Yeah, but what agree, do you think it looks like? Do you agree? I know, it's a weird little snake monster. I'm. It is it's kind of veiny, veiny, I guess. It's kind of veiny. It is it's pretty like veiny. Kind of, I mean, it really got... I was like, what is going on here? Like, it can't be... She didn't accidentally draw it to look penisy, right? It like, doesn't look ben- penisy. It looks it's just a bit veiny. Okay, all right. I mean, if it does, <laughs> that still doesn't clear up why to me. Like, I don't fully understand... <laughs> why it would be you know so uh because you know that's not like you know if if it felt like she couldn't escape like uh again if it felt like she couldn't escape being heterosexual in the leap to just to like embracing her queerness uh if that felt like something that was going on then i would be like okay you can't escape the penis or something but like um well that's not what's happening yeah but that in context of her dating a trans girl would be (laughs) weird oh my god (laughs) yeah i guess that's true too yeah, so, like, I guess there's some reads on it, but none of them, like, clearly track over what I yeah. see happening in this comic. So, you know. Yeah, I don't, just be... Let me look at the design, because I, I have it in my head, but I, <laughs> like... Well, see. she or substack, I can ask. I can be like... Yeah, no, I'm looking, at a, I'm looking at the substack. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I, I don't know. So, I, I didn't see it as quite as quite as penisy, penisy as you did, but maybe. She, I don't know. Uh, th- this is also... Um, it's on substack. It is a comic that is... You read scrolling... She integrates a really cool use of color into... It's a black and white comic, except when it's in flashback, um, which I think, you know, is just a fun design choice, but it also kind of represents the character's frame of mind, that, like, childhood was a much, like, freer... And you can see the color sap out of her life and her flashbacks as, like, this monster and this responsibility kind of gets hung around her neck. Um, So I think, like, switching back and forth between color and black and white really, like... Um, really subtly for a while like it when color first comes in in the first chapter it's a shock and it feels like surprising and it's really energetic she also integrates gifs into it so like um you get a bunch of different cut like the police show up at one point and the comic actually flashes red and blue it's all really cool it's really neat to see um you know like actual like 
the format play into this and it, it's all stuff that can be like replicated on paper like the the lighting stuff you can just you know you could have it colored red and blue it's not kind of like a I, i've seen other web comics do that where you know it's like a horror comic and the last panel the monster kind of rushes you with in a little gif or something yeah. um it's not really like that so it's a it's very cool and like canny use of the the format um yeah yeah i, I enjoyed it um do you have any other thoughts? This felt like, so it was interesting. We read so much of this stuff and then it was like Darkest Night was the last thing. And this was like, one, Darkest Night is the newest thing that she's written. But it's also the first thing that we read that's like really her whole thing, right? Um, so we're, we're going to be, everything else that we're reading, I think, is written and illustrated by her. Except for the Dungeons and Dragons comic um, at the end, which she just illustrates. But we're about to read five graphic novels from her that she wrote and illustrated so um it's kind of interesting having like you know this is what she's about yeah. um yeah um yeah yeah that was uh that was a good chat thanks charlotte i appreciated it so uh you know what i i, I gotta say i was i'm a little ya skeptical i'm a little ya it's i mean ya stuff is not for me right like i'm a 35 year old man <laughs> like it's ya stuff is not being written for me and i'm a little bit less like excited about why like there's a bunch i I don't know how to say this without like sounding rude but like as an adult ya stuff is not that interesting to me and it often feels like somewhat more juvenile or you know it's it's simplistic by its very nature it's being written for teenagers um but it can still be engaging if it's written with like a level of craft and a level of like skill and specificity by someone who has something to say and i'm like very relieved to say that like i feel like this has that that i guess that's my point is like yeah. coming into this I, I had a little bit of like wariness that like i'd walk away and be like yeah this is fine but it's you know it's written for yeah but I, I do think uh, like those were po- like the stuff we read here was probably the less ya stuff <laughs> that she she has done yeah i, I feel like actually, witch yeah, boy right. and girl from the sea might be more full ya than like Darkest Night and and strong female protagonists. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, I like some YA it. stuff. It's just uh, it has it has a higher barrier barrier to jump for me. Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, like arguably, like a lot of Marvel stuff we've read in MYA is is kind of YA. Like sure, oh, superheroes yeah, in yeah. general are basically yeah. YA. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a, a point you could. <laughs> You know what? You're bolder than I to say that uh, on a recording. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I disagree, but like, I also. Would, I think like, like God, can, can you is... imagine if I said that on my marvelous year episode? Like <laughs> the blowback I get. I say that like a good comic is an eight out of ten, and people are like, "He's a lunatic." <laughs> but I, I, who's arguing that like superhero comics are only for adults? Like, I, I don't know. People? Like most people most comics like, are for hmm. for teenagers. Or like I, I mean, yeah. m- most comics are for for adults, but should be for teenagers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, let's exactly. let's stop here before I get <laughs> okay, into yeah, trouble. Okay, yeah, trouble. <laughs> I, I to like there are a bunch of. I read a couple really good YA graphic novels last year. Um, I started reading the the is it Reina Tagmeister Tagmeister. I don't know actually how to say her last sure. name. Who wrote like guts, smiles, sister? I read Smile, and it was really good. Um, really, really good stuff. I read um, Oh Cheer Up by Crystal Fraser, which is uh, like a comic I kind of really want to bring to extra issues. Um, 
But it's a little bit actually what I was talking about here, where it was like, yeah, you don't need like magic if you have like good enough, strong enough characters. It's just about like uh, a pair of friends in high school, and one's trans and one's queer, I think, and it's really, really good. Uh, I really loved Cheer Up last year, so uh, there's some why stuff I can respond to. Have you read Cheer Up yet? No, I haven't. I, haven't. Hmm. I guess I'm the real trans ally on this podcast. And sure, is just a poser. honorary trans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh Congratulations my God. on reading some trans comic. <laughs> yep, that's that's how you get it. Sure. Um, okay. Well, if you uh, if you like the show, um, like we said, rate and review on Apple Podcast and patreoncom slash year Next week, we're going to be reading the Witch Boy trilogy, which is the Witch Boy, the Midwinter Witch, and the Hidden Witch. As far as I know, I don't think these are like on any streaming services. I don't think they're on Comixology or anything. So you do have to just purchase them on Kindle um, or oh, as actual books. <laughs> actual book. I, I know. I bought the actual books. I don't know why I said Kindle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I got a little stack here. Um, and then the next episode after that, we'll be covering Girl from the Sea, Shattered Sea, and Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Club Volume 1. I do want to warn people. I did read Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Club Volume 1. And I kind of think it's just okay. Um, she didn't write this one. She just draw it, drew it. It looks nice. I think it's a little basic. And it's actually kind of what I was talking about. Where like it's kind of a very straightforward YA story that doesn't feel like it's just about a 12-year-old kid who doesn't fit in. And it doesn't... I don't know if it does all too, too, too much. Um, yeah, so you heard it first. Zach hates children. And we'll see you next month. <laughs> well, I'm a, Okay, listen. If you're... <laughs> If you're 14 or younger and listening to this podcast, go ahead, buy it, because it might really work for you. If you're a 36-year-old man uh, or woman or whatever. Uh, if you're <laughs> old, yeah, If you're sure. older, I think it might not have as much, uh, you know, I, I don't if know. If you're young and hip like me, you like Maybe it. check out from the, li oh, the library, the library exists. Go get it from the library. Anyway, I, I read it and it didn't like, that actually is yep. kind of what got me started on like worrying that we had made a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> with this it's the first thing i read of hers and then i realized that she didn't actually write it so um i i went to a um i was a judge at a middle school science fair for <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and uh and there was one girl who was like 13 14 who was doing a project on like um hearing loss with earbuds and like hearing damage for like her cohort for other teenagers and uh, they were using music, and I mentioned, I was like, oh, what about, like, podcasts? Have you, you know, measured, like, volume and length of time? And she was like, well, my age group doesn't really listen to podcasts. But if I ever wanted to do, like, a study on old people, or older people, <laughs> like, um, that's a great idea. Yeah, Rough. I could definitely expand it out to, like, you know, like, people of your generation. It's <laughs> like, okay, Rough. all right, don't roast me. <laughs> So, yeah, the teens <sighs> are quite cruel. Is my yes, point. they are. <laughs> all right, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time with the Witch Boy trilogy next month. Yeah, see you next month. Uh, what's what's our see you in again? the funny papers was the yeah. Oh yeah, see you in the funny papers. <laughs> Stupid. Okay. Bye. Bye.